0: I'm Emma Woodhouse. I'm a two time NCAA All American, former Division I downhill skier, and host of the Barriers to Breakthroughs podcast. Each week, I'll get to interview some amazing and strong female athletes to discuss important topics in women's sports and what goes on inside the brain of an athlete. Perfectionism, recovering from injury, and bullying are just some of the many things that can defeat your spirits and ruin your confidence to perform. I know what it's like to feel hopeless, not knowing why you're not performing the way you want and to feel alone thinking that no one could relate to what you're going through. Well, I'm here to change that. I'll bring these topics and stories to light and show you that you are not alone and that you can overcome those barriers to breakthrough. Welcome back, friends, to another episode of the Barriers to Breakthroughs podcast. I'm your host, Emma Woodhouse, and today I'm joined by Olympic gold medalist, Kasia Grucella werserski I am so excited for you to listen to this episode because Kasia is just so inspiring. Her athletic journey actually started in alpine skiing, just like me, but had to retire due to a leg injury. That is when she discovered rowing at the age of 23 and found that she was naturally gifted in the sport. After years of competing in World Cup events and making the national team, Kasha qualified to be in the Women's 8 event for the Tokyo 2020 Olympics. With just over a month until the Olympics, Kasha had a horrific bike crash where she broke her collarbone and had to get several stitches. Her story is so inspiring because she healed enough to compete in the Olympic Games and to win the gold medal. This episode is all about believing in yourself. Kasha talks about how she recovered so quickly from her injury, what she did when doubtful thoughts creeped in, and how she mentally prepares for big competitions such as the Olympics. Really cool story you're about to hear, and before we get into this interview, if you are loving the podcast or resonated with any of these episodes, please leave a review over on Apple Podcasts and rate this podcast on Spotify. I would just love to hear your thoughts and it would just help out the podcast a lot. So thank you again for all of your support and let's bring in Kasha. Yay. Thank you so much, Kasha, for coming on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. This is super cool. Yeah, no worries. I'm so excited to have you on. I've been wanting to have you on for a few months now. I'm just so excited that you're here. I love that you're wearing the Lulu gear you're not watching this on video and listening, wearing the Lululemon stuff. Love that. I'm fully for watching, like I'm watching all the Olympic stuff right now and just seeing all the Lulu stuff. It is so cool.
1: Yeah. It's been really cool. Like seeing Lulu come into the Olympics because I used to work at Lulu for five years. So it's just like awesome. It's just come full circle, which is really neat.
0: Yeah, that's so cool. They're just getting the recognition they
1: deserve. <laughs> I love it. I agree. I like it's so funny. I hear summer Olympians now, and like people who are on the verge of retiring after Tokyo. They're like, "Should I just continue for the kit? Like, I just really <laughs> want the kit."
0: <laughs> Honestly, that's that's good
1: motivation.
0: For I know, right? Going. I'm not-
1: I'm not above it. I'm not above the the gear motivation. <laughs> yeah. Also,
0: <laughs> oh, how are you and what are you up to now post Summer Olympics?
1: I am finally getting back into a normal routine, which is really nice. It was pretty crazy for a while there in the fall, kind of nonstop. And it's nice to just get back in routine, start training again, do some schoolwork and just hang out with my family, my boyfriend, and just feel some sense of normalcy, to be honest.
0: Yeah, totally. And what are you doing in school or what are you studying in school? It's cool
1: because I started going back to school as like a 29 year old. So yeah, I'm studying a certificate in business through Queens. Oh, nice. Nice. So are you yeah, and just having the balance is awesome. It's really good.
0: Yeah. So are you living near Kingston then, or are you, um, so, doing it online?
1: Yeah, it's all online, which is amazing. Um, and that's why I started the program was just to get something going outside of sport. That way it helped me in my future for when I decide to retire and, um, they have a lot of athletes in these programs, which is really neat. And, I just took advantage of the resources available to me as an athlete and yeah, it's been really rewarding so far. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. That's
0: awesome. Thinking ahead.
1: I love it. <laughs> trying to, you know, I am, you know, so I'm trying to.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so since winning the like gold medal, like has that, has that sunk in yet? Or are you like, yeah, I'm, I'm a champion, Like
1: <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes and no like I think it hits me at moments when I'm sharing my story and I see somebody else get really emotional or seeing like the pride in people really close to me people who have been part of my journey like then it hits me on a daily basis like no <laughs> I'm still the same me and honestly I'm happy to feel that way I'm happy to feel like I'm um, the same old Kasha and you know doesn't change who I am at my core, but it's just a really cool thing we accomplished. And it's going to open a lot of doors and it's already opened a lot of doors. So that's been really cool. But I mean, the everyday hasn't really changed. um It did for a while, but to be honest, like just feeling like myself and feeling normal and just hanging out with my friends again and just going out for beer and then, you know, just doing my training. Like that's, it really makes me feel like me. So, it's nice to kind of get back to that place.
0: Yeah, I I love watching stories on TV, like especially now with Olympic dreams coming true. Like I get really emotional too because I just I understand how hard it like how much work is put into that dream and just to get the get the medal, get the recognition. It's it's really cool for them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Okay.
0: So I really want to know how your journey all started with rowing and like why you decided to become a rower.
1: Yeah. So I was wrapping up my undergrad in, in the end of, uh, 2013 and I only had a couple of courses left. So I decided to do it online and I came back to Calgary, but I still definitely had a fire to be an athlete again. I grew up alpine racing and um, really missed being an athlete and ended up coaching after retiring from skiing. But I really, really had that Olympic dream and that fire to be, to be an athlete again. So I, coming from skiing, thought that bobsleigh would be the path for me. Being fast and explosive and, and strong, I was like, this is the sport for me and another winter sport, obviously. And then my friend actually got scouted for a talent ID program for rowing. And she convinced me to try it. And it was the beginning of 2014, probably around February, March. And the tryouts for Bosley weren't until August. So I decided to give it a shot. And I just really loved it. Rowing's really hard, but I think I just love training again and being in a, a community and meeting new people and I was seeing improvements every day and getting stronger and stronger. So I just kind of stuck with it. And then I eventually did try out for bobsleigh in August of, uh, of 2014, but I was so deep into rowing and it was going so well that I decided to just stick with that instead. So that's how I got into it. (laughs)
0: Wow. Okay. I have so many
1: thoughts right now. Okay. (laughs) First
0: I want to start with, uh, so you were an Alpine skier. I was an alpine skier as well. I'm actually a ski coach right now. Cool. Yeah. So that's pretty cool that you were too. And so while you were coaching, did you really have this, like, I bet you had just this, this fire, like, Oh, like I want to be them right now.
1: Yeah. Like, and it's cool. I, I don't know how you feel, but like when you move from athlete to coach, you're almost learn so much more that like, you feel like if you had known that while being an athlete, like you wish you could have applied that to your sport. And I just thought like, okay, all these things that I'm learning as a coach, even though it's a completely different sport, like I can apply to rowing. And like, I'm a huge believer that like mental performance is like 80% of the sport. And that's what I learned a lot as a coach with seeing all these young athletes, you know, in their early to mid teens, like what their mental strengths were, what their opportunities were, how I could apply myself. And obviously there was technical stuff in skiing as well that I would notice. And I was like, oh man, like I never thought about it that way. I wish I could go back and try it again. But those things actually did carry over to growing and like it's all micro movements at the end of the day. And skiing is super heavy in micro movements. So yeah but man, I love skiing. (laughs) Yeah,
0: (laughs) I know it is. And I totally agree with that. Like I am noticing all these little things and I've actually been doing a little bit of racing as well, just to in skiing terms, I'm like throwing my points so that it's, it's really hard to explain, but yeah, so I'm racing as well. So I am like implementing some of those things and it's totally working. And people are like, you haven't trained. But I'm just like, but my mental game, like it's, and I tell my athletes all all the time, like, it's all about your mindset, what you're thinking about and how you feel about yourself too. And so it's really cool to like be in the start with them noticing, like when they're like getting super nervous, if they're getting super nervous and like really diving deeper, like, okay, where does that come from?
1: It's, it's really cool totally oh that's so cool you're still racing
0: yeah
1: like, a, a like fun league like a night racing league out here and there's like I think the last one is next Friday and I have a couple friends that are doing it and I'm like oh, I should do that that would be yeah. so fun
0: oh my god that'd be so cool have you yeah, get, when was the last time you, you were in a course <laughs>
1: uh, a while yeah yeah These are like thirteen years old, so that'll be (laughs) hilarious. But it'll be fun. So yeah, yeah,
0: it would definitely be so fun. (laughs) And then just circling back to what you said, so you were trying out for bobsled too. That's well, that's really cool. It's very dangerous looking,
1: though. It is. But I feel like coming from skiing, like it almost looks safer because you're like in a sled. I was like, Oh yeah, that's, that looks like a good idea. like, but yeah, I'm sure it's terrifying and I still haven't done it. Like I, the tryouts are all on land, right? Like it's all explosive speed work and heavy lifting. And it's funny because like in rowing, like that's not how we train. We actually do a lot of aerobic endurance and I definitely have some natural sparkiness and, and explosiveness from, from skiing. We talk about the million squats and box jumps we used to do. That doesn't go away, right? Like, but I was training differently, and so because of my training, it just applied so much better to rowing. And and I was just building a completely different base. So I don't really know how it would have gone for me in bobsleigh at that point. And it doesn't really matter because I stuck to rowing, and I think I made the right choice. Yeah, you're pretty
0: good at it. So.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean there's definitely times during like really long rows that are really, really mentally draining. I was like, man, maybe I should have done Bob's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're but, quick runs. <laughs> and, yeah. They're just it looks fun. But yeah, no, it's cool. And I know one of the guys on the bobsled team and it's it's such a cool sport. It, it really is.
0: It is really cool. I love watching it at the Olympics and it's just like just a little movement and like you could be hitting the wall or like it's just so calculated it's pretty cool
1: totally yeah <laughs> yeah very neat
0: when you were growing up did did someone instill that olympic dream in you or like who really motivated you and inspired you
1: not really one person i just watched the olympics since i was really little And then I watched it with my parents and I was always fascinated by them. And I just remember from a really young age getting like really emotional, kind of like what you were saying, watching the Olympics. Now, like I still get emotional, but it just seemed like the pinnacle of everything for me when I was younger. I was like, I'm going to go to the Olympics. I want to win gold. I want to sing with Canada. I had no idea how I was going to do it, but I just knew like, that would be the most amazing thing in the world. So as I grew up, you know, you start getting into sport and then you start seeing people in your sport achieve really great things. And like being super young, and seeing Thomas Grandy, like was such a big deal around here. And I got to meet him and I got his autograph. And like, you know, you're young and it's like, wow, those people really inspire you. And then they keep inspiring you as you get older it just kind of changes because you finally realize like, I can do that. I can be that person. That could be me. And in Calgary, like we have such an amazing community of Olympians and successful athletes. Like there was no shortage of inspiration around here.
0: No, they, they are everywhere. I know so many people from Calgary that are just like all stars. <laughs> like, They're yeah. so good. Yeah. That's really cool. And so were you, I guess you were in Calgary, so not Vancouver. I was thinking like about the Vancouver Olympics, like how close to home that would have been for you.
1: Yeah, I was actually at 2010. I believe I was, so I did one year of C, and then I transferred to UBC, Okanagan. And I think that would have been in the year that I was in Calgary. So I didn't, I didn't go, but I had friends from UBC, Okanagan that went because it was a four hour drive for them. So, like, they would tell me their stories of the Olympics, and I was like, man, that's so cool. And, like, you know, just how amazing it is that we hosted a Winter Olympics. It was pretty amazing. And I remember coaching in Whistler and seeing the Olympic rings in like 2015. And I was like, that's the first time I've ever seen Olympic rings in person. Like, that's pretty cool. So, yeah, like, I mean, Canadians are so invested in the Olympics. It's a big deal. And it's it's pretty cool, the community it creates around here.
0: Yeah, we really bond together. And we have so much pride in our nation. And I think that's really cool about Canada. is like, we're not focused on specific people. Like, we are, like, they're Team Canada. Like, we are for them. Yeah. And so when you first committed to rowing, uh, did you have to move anywhere? Like were you, or did you have a, a rowing facility or like training team where you were or just how, how are those following years of your training plan?
1: Yeah. So in Calgary, we are only able to row from May to October, whereas some places in Canada, like even out East, they have longer seasons. They can start rowing and you know, March, even April, and go until November, December, sometimes. And then in on the West Coast, you can row year round. So it, there's definitely a, a bit of a disadvantage being in Calgary. But in the winter, there was a couple of times I made a few trips out to the West Coast. And then once I eventually officially got invited to the National Training Center, then we are centralized in Victoria. So we had to move to Victoria and so that's where I've lived until, until the games, and there's a really different place to be, and I really, really miss the mountains, but the ocean's pretty cool as well.
0: Yeah, I've heard that place is just gorgeous, like, it's just have amazing. You
1: no. <laughs> oh, man, if you ever come visit, you'll have to let me know, but it's, it's really cool. It's, like, definitely different. It's a slower pace, like, there's a joke, there's people are on island time like it's (laughs) it's a different pace of life and sometimes that's really good because it forces us to slow down and sometimes I'm an a-type personality especially when I'm training and I kind of like being busy and really structured and then you know things shut down super early or it's a little bit slower like on a Saturday night you go out to dinner and it's like seven PM and downtown's like slowing down, and I was like not used to that whatsoever. Like it's just a really different pace of life.
0: That's funny, <laughs> but that's really cool that it's just like mellow, it's chill. Yeah,
1: yeah. There's uh, there's really cool places near Vancouver Island too, and you know it's it just attracts a certain kind of person too, and um, you meet people that you never would normally meet in calgary and it's it's, it's uh it opens your mind which is really cool
0: yeah with your first few years of rowing did you were there things that you didn't expect in your training plan that maybe
1: you weren't told
0: of or like yeah just how how was transitioning into that sport
1: yeah that's a good question because yes i didn't expect the most most things honestly. The first year, especially at the training center, was really, really tough for me personally. The training was already hard. Like the jump in volume was insane. I wasn't used to it. You know, we had a different training program in Calgary and it was shorter, intense rows, and I was working. And so, like, my priorities weren't as much as I wanted to make the national team. Like, I also had to support myself. So, I was working full-time and I couldn't commit full-time to being an athlete. And then I moved to the training center and I still wasn't supported to be a full-time athlete, but I was expected to be a full-time athlete. So I was training like 20, 22 hours a week, but then I was working 20 hours a week on top of that. So I would not get adequate recovery and I was on my feet a lot and it was, so draining and took a toll on my mental health and then I had a pretty rough relationship with my coach at the time had a really tough time with that and it was quite challenging but I always focused on like setting small timelines for myself so like okay push for another month and then see how you feel and if this isn't like what you want like there's no shame This isn't like serving you. This isn't exciting you. Like, I think there's nothing wrong with that. But every time I like get to those deadlines that I was putting for myself, I was like, oh, I'm still like curious to see what's next, what I'm capable of. And so even if there's a bit of turbulence in my environment or in certain relationships, I was like, okay, well, I can control what I do and I can control my performance. And so that's what I'm going to focus on. And thank God I did, because throughout that first year, I started, you know, becoming better friends with my teammates and finding a support system in them. My boyfriend was in Calgary at the time. My family was in Calgary at the time. They didn't really have a big support system out there. But then, you know, you build bonds with your, with your teammates and, and then you see those bonds grow. And so those were the people I'd rely on and they would start relying on me and I was learning so much from my teammates who had, you know, six years of experience on the national team already. And I was fresh on the national team, but also having this like athletic experience of a completely different sport and being an athlete for most of my life already. So we had completely different strengths and, you know, we would balance each other out and learn from each other. And that just made the experience so much better and kept me going and kept me pushing. So it was like a big, big change. And I think before going to the the national team, I had this like idealistic idea of what it is going to be like to be on the national team, like the most amazing thing. And it was not what I expected. So yeah, quite honestly, it was rough. It was rough for for the first little while.
0: Yeah. I really love that you took the time to like really consider your decision. You're like, okay, like I'll just go a little bit longer instead of like being like, nope, I'm done. Like it's not working. That's really cool that you were like yeah. stuck with it. Like you're like, I have this dream. And let's see how how it goes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think like it's complicated because I've seen some people that stay in sport maybe a lot longer than they should have for their own health. And I didn't want to be that person either. I didn't want to like put my mental health at risk just for the sake of doing what I thought I should be doing. So it comes back to that. Like, why, like, why are you doing it? What do you want out of it? And I think curiosity just took over for me and I knew I had to put my mental health as a priority in my career. And so I took little steps to do that. And, you know, some of that was like, okay, working a little bit less fundraising more to give me the flexibility to, to recover. Part of that was like, yeah, I'm going to go out for a beer with my friend on a Saturday night and talk about nothing rowing related and just get to be me." So, you know, I think that's something that athletes don't really talk about is like, The stuff they do outside of sport that's like, we're just normal humans trying to do something that's like extraordinary, right?
0: Yay. I love that. I love that. I, I, that's awesome that you had that awareness of, okay, I'm not feeling right and just like not trying to like keep pushing. That's really cool. And then also just, yeah, finding fun outside of your sport. Like for me, I, when I was all focused on, I was on the provincial team at one point, those were like my worst skiing years because I felt like, like I had to be focused all the time. Like just, I always think of that, like 10,000 hour rule of like, you have to train so much and then that, then you'll get better. And, and then my best years were when I was in college or even now, like (laughs) when I'm coaching. So it's like, it's, yeah, I think that's super important to, take time for yourself to do things that you love to do. That's not you
1: related to your sport. Totally. Have you read the book grit? I haven't. No, I've heard of it though. I, I, yeah. I can't remember the author's name off the top of my head. I read it my first year of being on the team and something that really stuck with me throughout that book was like athletes that are successful do their tasks like very consciously. So like, you know, I hear what you're saying about this 10,000 hour rule and like, you know, volume and like more is always better, but like at what point is more better if you're like focused on quality and doing your work well and putting the effort in that time slot. And then once you're out of that time slot, you let it go. That has been the biggest help for me personally. And People are different. Some people need the volume to feel confident. I focus on every stroke. And then once I was done practice, I would try and, like, be other parts of me. And the when I perform the best is when I've had the most balance and fun outside of rowing and fun at rowing as well. I think that's, like, a, something that's changing in sport. And something that needs more attention.
0: Yeah, me too. Quality over quantity. Yeah, definitely.
1: I mean, quantity has its place for sure.
0: Fast forward a little bit, looking up who you are and how like how your journey was just researching. Found out that you a month before the Olympics, or ish, month ish before the Olympics, you had a really bad bike accident. So talk to everyone about what what happened and what the doctors were telling you at that point and what were you, you, were thinking.
1: Yeah. The, the epic bike crash um, <laughs> became a big part of my story that I'd never, ever pictured would happen. Yeah. We were training 40 days out of the Olympic ceremonies. And I remember 40 days because, you know, there's like the countdown on Instagram team. Canada puts like the amount of days until the Olympics. And that morning we had like an epic row. It was beautiful. We were up island on a training camp, like our pre-Olympic Canadian camp. So that was exciting. And um the afternoon was a two hour cross train session. And a few of us had brought our road bikes out. And you know, we're in Strathcona Provincial Park. There's mountains, like that's where I felt most at home on the island, I would say. And we went on a on our bike ride and we were about an hour in, almost an hour in, just about to turn around. And our coaches were following us in a truck just in case somebody got a flat or anything happened. There's no self-service. So they were following us, and then I had one hand off the handlebar, and I'm not hundred percent sure what happened, but my handlebar went sideways and um, I just flew through the air and it was like a ski crash where you're falling and you're like oh this is not gonna be good and it kind of goes slow motion and yeah just skated across the pavement and took two of my teammates out with me at the same time two girls that were following me there was about 10 of us and then immediately when I crashed I sat up and I knew something was ro- wrong with my shoulder or so I thought it was my shoulder and then the next thing I knew I was just seeing red and I was just Bleeding out of my forehead, and my teammates—you know—one of them was lying in front of me, and she ended up dealing with a a concussion. And the other one, luckily, walked away with some some uh, road burn. But like the rest of our teammates were like running to us, checking on us. And I was like, my shoulder, my shoulder. And they were like, yeah, we're not worried about your shoulder right now. Like your head. I was like, okay. Um luckily with our coaches right there, they brought us back into the hospital like that. Yeah, they brought us to the hospital and I got 56 stitches and I got 32 in my forehead. <laughs> yeah, I was told I had a broken collarbone and that was devastating. I think I like balled my eyes out for and after that. It was almost like I had a gut feeling of, like, this isn't over. There must be a way. My emergency doctor was saying, they knew what was at stake for me when I explained the situation, and they were kind of me of, like, oh, my gosh, this girl's getting ready for the Olympics, and they're a month away, and I just told them, like, I'm not quitting. Like, there, there has to be a way. I'm crazy, but there has to be a way. and. They were like, yep, we're with you. Like my emergency doc was like, yeah, I'll see the start line. I'll be watching you on TV. And so that was just like giving me the boost I needed when I was in the hospital. A couple days later, I saw an orthopedic specialist and he told me that I was lucky to be alive and that I would not be racing at the Olympics. And my physio was with me for that appointment and I walked out of the appointment or sorry, it was limping out of the appointment with like a busted up knee and broken a collarbone. And that morning was when they did the team Canada's announcements on social media. And I hadn't told very many people what happened. So I was getting an influx of texts and emails of like, congratulations, you're going to the Olympics. And in my head, I was like, I, don't know it's about to happen right now luckily behind the scenes like i have a lot of people working for me and and working to get a solution for me and i was able to get into surgery 3 days or 4 days after my accident i remember getting out of surgery and i was like okay i can do this like i can i can find a way if there's 1% chance that there's a way like i'm going to find it so then I started the road to recovery and it was a really quick timeline. And somehow, somehow we made it. Wow. I,
0: that's amazing that you kept that belief in yourself. Like, okay, there's a, there's a way I can do this. And so, yeah. Yeah. Talk about the recovery process. Like even like right before the Olympics, like how, one, how did you recover so quickly? Like (laughs) two, I bet it was just like the good energy you were putting on yourself. Like that really just like helped you heal.
1: Yeah, I mean, there wasn't any room to not believe in myself, to be honest. And there was no time. Like I knew that if I had any doubt in myself, I wasn't gonna make it. I had an amazing support system of people and helped me the first week after surgery. And then he just kept saying small wins, small wins. So it was just like getting one more degree of motion in my shoulder. I mean, honestly, I could barely walk because my knee, like there was no skin on my kneecap. And that's what hurt more. It wasn't even a bone that was what was bothering me out of surgery. Like it was painful for the first three days out of surgery, but I knew that was going to happen. And then after that, I was just waiting for my knee to heal so I could do a full rotation on a bike. So I think people didn't believe me when I was telling them, like, my collarbone's okay. The rest of me, that's a little busted (laughs) up. And I was training on the bike again. And four years of training didn't go down the tube in one week. I was still super fit. (laughs) Like, the rest of my body knew what, what I had to do. And so when I started rowing again, like, three weeks after surgery was when I was cleared to row on the water. I think I started rowing on the erg or the rowing machine, like, two weeks after. My body just started taking over. <laughs> like, it just knew what to do. And, like, yeah, okay, my, my collarbone broke. I also have 10 screws and a plate in it, so it's not going anywhere. I wasn't going to do any permanent damage to myself, which was a big concern for my team and myself. And as long as I wasn't doing any permanent damage, like I knew that I was going to be okay. The rest was just mental. At the same time, it was exhausting. I was crying every day because I was so tired, but your body just is capable of amazing things. And the the tight timeline was scary, but it was also like, I only have to hang on for another month. Like I, if I can get through the first couple of weeks, like I can hang on for like two or three more weeks. Like I got this. And sure enough, like the fatigue started fading after a couple of weeks. I started feeling more like myself, especially once we got to the Olympic village. But yeah, it was a crazy time. And I don't think I realize what was going on at the time until I reflect on it now yeah you're
0: like it's mental it's just it's so important to to have that right and like that really gets you through those tough times like I personally I haven't been through a major injury honestly any injury I was very blessed that way so I can't even imagine (laughs) I I know I was I was very cautious but like Anyways. (laughs) so that's just really cool that you just turn that around for yourself and that you made it there. Thank
1: you. Yeah. It's, you know what? I, I did get injured in skiing and I did get injured playing soccer. And so that wasn't my first go at surgery. And, you know, I honestly think all those experiences that happened beforehand were like preparing me for this because I knew exactly what I needed to do. I knew that I had to eat like crazy. Like I was just like pounding food. As soon as I got injured that night, I was like crushing a burger. (laughs) I was like, I need calories. Now my body needs to heal. Like, I think I just knew what I needed to do. And I convinced like people around me that I could heal too. Cause I don't think they probably believed that I could. And I don't blame them but I knew I was a fast healer and um, I knew I was going to do everything to heal as quick as possible as well. So just again, like controlling the controllables and and just like mentally being strong.
0: Oh yeah. I love, Oh, I love that. (laughs) All right. So let's talk about your Olympic experience. Just tell us what right when you got to the games, like what, what, how are you feeling? How was the team feeling before even that final race started?
1: Like how, what was the vibe? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, this injury really needs to, so actually the day before we went into the Olympic village, I had to race our spare for my spot again. And my spare had filled my seat for yeah, like almost three weeks. And her name's Becca, and she's a friend of mine and a teammate. And that was really tough. Like, it was tough for us because whoever lost the race was getting sent home and wouldn't even go into the Olympic Village. So the pressure was insane. And then it was hard for everybody else in the boat because they had no idea who they were going to go to the Olympics. Not a normal situation. So I think going into the village, like once we got in there, I think everything started to like settle finally, because everybody knew who they were going to be racing with. Training was going well. And then finally, we could just focus on executing the plan that we've been working for so long to throw down. And then it just started getting exciting, walking into the village getting your accreditation and starting to feel real, seeing the Olympic rings, they have finally started to say again that I was living out my dream and that we were capable of doing something really special at the Olympics. And we knew that for a while, but then it was just like, finally, after COVID, after delays, after the injury, we finally have our opportunity. And so then it was just like prepping for that opportunity every day.
0: Okay. Wow. So you had had <laughs> to race. Did you so it was it just like a head to head? Were you racing each other? And then it was like whoever crossed the finish line first won or like
1: that? no. So yeah, it's super weird. So rowing's rowing's a bizarre sport in the sense of like your teammates, but you also have to race against each other for, for spots in boats which is probably the hardest thing about rowing. So essentially what happened is we did pieces with Becca in, in the eight and then pieces with me in the eight and the times were compared and we had a constant boat, which was the men's four training partners for the year leading up to the Olympics. They're awesome guys. And they pushed us so hard. Um, They're a big part of our journey as well. And so the times were all compared to each other. And then yeah and then they picked whoever they thought was going to make the biggest impact on the eight and I knew that because I was named to the eight beforehand that I was you know it was my spot that in a sense I had a bit of an advantage because it was my seat to lose so I knew that if I was close or better like I was going to get the seat and it's tough. It's tough when you respect your teammate and you're going up against them in literally the final days before the Olympics. Like that's a really tough thing. And Rebecca without Becca we wouldn't have won. We just wouldn't have. So it's hard because she doesn't get the credit that she deserves.
0: Wow, yeah. And what were the tools you are using during during those like high pressure moments? So like when you're at races or even during this fighting for your spot like what kind of tools do you use that really help you to to stay focused and just keep you mentally strong
1: i look back on a lot of my experience and tried to gain confidence from everything i'd done and i'm pretty good at focusing on the task at hand and blocking everything else out which is great in sport not always great in life but a handy skill to have when you need it under under pressure, and I knew I was gonna own the race like i I was gonna like crush it like I, that's what I told myself it wasn't like go out there and like I was going hundred and ten percent, and nothing was gonna stop me,
0: yeah, just going back to believing in yourself is just is yeah. really important,
1: absolutely, <laughs> and then after that it's seem like a little bit easier. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. And
0: so now talk about that just beautiful day of when you won the gold medal, how was the lead up to it? And even during the race, if you can remember even what was going on, like how did that day go? And just, yeah, just talk about it.
1: Yeah. It was a crazy day. I couldn't sleep in the morning. I think I was up at like 4am and it was like my body was like ready to go but I was like mentally pretty calm I was nervous but it was like excitement and more so again like curious to see what we could do on that day and it wasn't like fear driven it was like anxious to see what we could throw down our warm-up was it was pretty hectic, and there was a bunch of thunder. And I just remember sitting in the boat hearing the thunder and being like, please don't delay this race. Like, we're ready to go. Like, please don't delay it. But we got to the start, and I was just so calm. And I think that Lisa, who sits behind me in the boat, kind of felt the same way. Like, we just knew what we were capable of. We knew we didn't have to do anything different or special. Like we know we can row well. We know our crew has had some amazing results and in, in training, it's just about having the best possible race we could have on that day. And then we started racing, the start went off and 10 strokes in, I just felt it in the boat. And I think like being towards the front of the boat, we sit backwards, but I'm in two seats. So I was towards the front of the boat. I could just like feel the lift. I could feel the push that my teammates were giving. And I was like, no one's walking through us today. I could just feel it. I didn't understand what that meant, really. I didn't understand what that was going to give us because we were so present and so focused on one stroke at a time. But you have that feeling of like, you're working so hard. You're working at 100%. It's physically exhausting but it feels so good that you can go on forever and that you can push like this forever. So we just like got out of the start gate, felt good. I knew to push really hard off the start because that's my strength. And I, I just told myself like, keep pushing until you hear that the boat's in first. I heard we were in first and then I just tried to manage myself for the middle thousand. I knew that was our strength was the middle thousand and if we got ahead out of the start and then the first 500 could just make more room in the middle thousand and that was kind of our strategy was make as much space between us and the next person in that middle thousand and that's what we did like we executed the plan a hundred percent i think people were shocked when they watched us on tv but to us like that was the plan and we were lucky because new zealand was right next to us and they were the reigning world champs and so i support and I would see where they are if I every, every stroke I wanted to right but it was just staying calm staying in the moment Kit our cousin, was telling us where we were she was calling the risk absolutely beautifully and it wasn't until the last 10 strokes that I realized what was gonna happen when she said like 10 more strokes and you're Olympic champions and immediately it took me like two or three strokes to to process that and then I was like do not screw up and <laughs> just keep moving and the language in my head was a little more colorful than that because at that point we we're really feeling the pain <laughs> but I was like oh my god this is about to happen and then I didn't even hear the finish horn I just saw kit like jump and I was like oh my god we did it and then it was like I second guessed myself and was like, wait a second, did we, did we just win? Like, am I a hundred percent sure? And so I was like looking on the jumbotron for confirmation that we had won. And I just saw like, they had like people cheering from Canada because it was a virtual Olympics essentially. And I was like, Oh my God, we just did it. And then I just started laughing, laughing and crying at the same time. It was just pure disbelief.
0: That's so cool, though. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and you're freaking out. I'm like, okay, we're winning, but okay, focus, focus.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was funny because, like, thank God that didn't hit me in the like, in the, until the last like, you know, hundred meters. Because I think three hundred meters in, Ken asked us like, what color is your, what color is your medal today, or something like that. And I was like, it's it's gold. But that's the only time I ever thought about winning. And it was almost more like, I wasn't even thinking about gold when I was thinking that it was like, we're just pushing so hard. Like it can't be anything else because like nobody's past us right now. So it was probably the most present race I've ever had. And in that sense, probably the easiest race I've ever had. It.
0: That's just really cool that you, that you felt that it, like, you just felt that it was like going to be a good race. I think that's really cool that you're like, Ooh, yes. <laughs> Cause I get those yeah. feelings too. Yeah.
1: yeah. You just know, right. Like it's so true. It, it doesn't matter like what sport you just know when you're executing because like, you're not really thinking about executing. You're just doing it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> true. <laughs> so I just have a few more questions for you. So one is, what lessons has rowing taught you that you really implement in your life?
1: A lot. (laughs) To be honest, like, it's funny. I mean, being an athlete's a really special thing. And mostly because it's something that I'll carry with me throughout the rest of my life. Like, all the lessons I've learned. And it's not necessarily the lessons in the boat. Injuries or teammates and building a culture not the actual like stroke that's what really like those are the things that given me that I' given me the lessons that are going to carry me through the rest of my life and so like it's journey or the process and not the outcome like that's what that means to me so like, definitely a resilience speaking up for yourself Trusting your gut. I'm very extroverted and I have a loud voice. And so sometimes it's also about listening and staying quiet, which is something I'm learning still. (laughs) But we had a a changing coaches in February of 2020. And Michelle, our coach who brought us to the Olympics, like she's pretty introverted and more soft-spoken. And I learned so much about being Her because we're quite different, and yet I just have this immense respect for her and what she was able to achieve with us, and letting us drive the bus. As she said it, she just said she was the gas attendant, and we were the sports car. (laughs) Yeah, like working with people who are so different than you. Those are the things I've actually learned about rowing. Those are the things that matter in the big scheme of things. Yeah, totally.
0: It's. It's so important to and you're always learning too. Like it's you're constantly learning all these things and and you're just taking what what works
1: for you going forward and kind of building on that. Totally. That's what makes athletes successful is that they're willing to learn from other people who have different strengths than them. And once you realize that, then I think that just puts you in such a better place to be successful. And then also like share your knowledge with others as well.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. Okay. And then also what is next for you going forward? Are you looking into Paris
1: 2024? (laughs) What's, what's going on? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I am. I mean, like I said, lemon kit, pretty uh, (laughs) cool thing I would really like. Yeah, I'm definitely on training right now with the intention of continuing. I'm still trying to Strengthen my why as to like going back because, especially now, you know, feeling the sense of normalcy and getting to training in my butt kicks and not being as fit as I was last year and kind of starting a new chapter. Like, if that why isn't super solid, then it's not worth it because that Olympic medal is a really cool thing, but it's really not guaranteed going to the Olympics isn't guaranteed as I learned right before the Olympics and so if you're not enjoying the journey or the process then then like the the outcome is up in the air then what's the point so obviously coming off in the Olympics I was remembering amazing about rowing but it's a grind and it's a lot of hard work And so, yeah, just strength to why I'm going through that again or why I'm out of work and sacrifice and good sacrifice that I enjoy and that I'm willing to do. But it's a very amazing, special lifestyle, but you can't do it forever because it is tough. So, yeah, I mean, that's my intention. That's how I'm approaching training right now is just finding the enjoyment. Yay, I love I love
0: that. And I'll be cheering you on because that was such a cool thing to watch the rowing. And well, I've interviewed her, but I knew her before then. But Sydney Payne, who was in the boat with you. It's just so cool to see see all your hard work pay off and just I'm so excited to watch watch you in Paris and I'll be cheering you on. And yeah, that's I'm so excited for you.
1: Thank you. <laughs> That's, that's really nice the rowing community is amazing but what's hit me harder is like the impact on the skiing community as well which I never expected and so now you know I go down to the Calgary Rowing Club and there's like younger girls who used to ski and so when their skiing crew is over they switch to rowing and like that's something I never ever thought I could inspire. It didn't even cross my mind. And that's been really amazing. And the roots in skiing are still so strong, which is so wicked.
0: Yeah, that's so cool. You're, you're an inspiration. Oh, so amazing. <laughs> so, oh, so, where can people connect with you if you, they have any questions, or just where can people follow your journey?
1: Yeah, on um, Instagram is that uh, at Cash G Dub, and that's that's my handle. That's where I do most of my communication, and yeah, that's where I connect with people. And I do check my messages, and I love it when people ask me questions. Yay!
0: Oh, I'm so excited for you, and thank you so much for coming on and just oh, just just saying so many inspiring words. And I just I love love your journey and that you're sharing your experiences with other people. And yeah, just thank you so much for coming on.
1: Thanks so much for having me. This was a really cool conversation.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the Barriers to Breakthroughs podcast. If you love this episode or want to support the podcast, please click on that subscribe button and leave a rating and review. I would be forever grateful. You can also follow and connect with me on Instagram at Barriers to Breakthroughs Podcast and on my website at emmawoodhouse.ca. Thanks again for tuning in and keep on breaking those barriers to your inevitable breakthrough.